The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Steve Joll and the Art of War coaches. Hello, dear viewers, and welcome back to part two of our very special episode of The Art of War. I am here with the one, the only, the many-armed and many-faceted Nick Nanavati. I have at least four arms, John. I thought it was at least two. Well, you I know. mean, you, you blend in with the human growth yard of war pretty well. I'm not Sieg, because I am an organic creature over here. That, that's true, that's true. I mean, Admech also has four arms sometimes, the little, little robot spindly things coming off. You that's never know true. what a tech priest is hiding under the rope. Yeah, you never know. Those things are not to be trusted. All right, well... If, you, uh, if you're just joining us, perhaps you haven't listened to part one yet, you should go back and do that. Nick just went in great detail and depth, talking about a Gene Slur cult list that he took to the melee at Shiloh GT and won it all with. And he even came back with a reason why I have to build several more rock grinders, uh, because I, I don't trust Nick to build my rock grinders. So now I have extra work this weekend, but he did talk about the evolution of the list and what he wants to see from it coming forward. So, Nick, are you excited for this? I'm um, super excited. This is great. I love talking about Gene Stealer I love my Gene Stealers with all their arms, and I, I'm really excited for this new codex. I was a bit down on it when it first came out, but I've mm -hmm. been able to learn it and make it work, and really excited for it. Let's talk about some matchups. See, when we got this codex, I was really, really excited when Nick was down on it, and now I'm kind of down on it and Nick's excited, but... I want to bet this one time, so I got to pawn the army off onto Nick to watch him do his magic. Round magic, as they say. I, I think it's just you at this point. That, they're one and the same, John. They? Yeah. You're the they now? I am they. Brown magic is they. They. The ominous they. Uh, you are very ominous. Exactly. Every time you walk in, I'm like, oh, God, someone's <laughs> going to make a 10-inch charge again. <laughs> Didn't even need rerolls. You know? We have them, though. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So here's what we're going to be doing in part two. Uh, we're going to be talking about Gene Sturkle and the various matchups they have. I'm going to come at Nick with some of the best armies in the game. He's going to explain to me how he plans to beat them. Easily. I'm going to tell him why he's wrong and how that will never work. Definitely not three times in a row. <laughs> right? For sure. For, For sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's let, let's start off and let's actually talk about... Let's talk about one of my old favorites. Do you have favorites? I do. I have favorites. Unfortunately, I have seven of them, and I don't play any of them right I'm, now. I'm excited to talk about how to beat your favorites. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my favorite is Space Marines. Favorite Space Marines? Favorites Which kind is of Space, Space Marines? Marines? Uh, you know, we, we've got the melee Marines. We've got the shooting Marines. That's kind of how we break it down right now. But I'm actually going to start off with uh, ye old melee Marines. Uh, Jack keeps trying to tell me that Blood Angels are back. Um, I'm trying to remind him that they were never here. But let's just kind of talk about the whole Space Wolf and Blood Angel and White Scar and Black Templar. That whole group of Space Marine chapters. You know, the ones that are better at punching you than they are shooting you. Yeah. Um, even though Space Marines maybe aren't as uh, successful in the meta right now as we've seen in the past, they're also still Space Marines, which means that they pop up all the frickin' time. I went to a GT last week and I hit Space Marines round one and round two. Around Black Templars were actually my first round. So I don't have super lots of experience with the Space Marine matchup into GSC. I played it twice, once with Iron Hands, once with Black Templars. For the melee version, um, I think Space Marines are actually a bit of a challenging match for GSC. Thankfully, they are not a big portion of the meta, at least the way I play Gene Stiller. 
Um, if they bring things like infiltrators that can block my deep strikes, really poo-poos my army's plan A. Um, you can get around that because typically armies don't run like a lot of infiltrators. And I have good shooting. I have a lot of seismic hands and stuff, which is great for picking up marines. So that's got to be a big factor. Get rid of the infiltrators, play around the infiltrators. I will deploy pure strains and probably sack them turn one if I can get a good charge off on infiltrators that they're using the screen. Um, I just need to get those off the board so I can start to play my game. But then when we get into the, the nitty gritty of what a combat army marine is made of, it's a bunch of vanguard vets, perhaps some dreadnoughts, if it's Black Templars, it's got Crusader Bix, um, maybe Blade Guard, maybe Terminators, depends on your variation. Um, it's interesting, my army is not actually that great at killing melee marines in close combat. Ten-man pure, pure strain stealers can kill five vanguard vets. They, I feel like they should. Um, in Twisted Helix, they certainly would. But in my uh, mixed cult of my foreign emperor list, they don't hit that hard. They, I've definitely watched ten pure strains not kill five vanguard vets and make me really sad. Um, Acolytes typically get it done as well, but again, dice be dice, fours be fours. I've watched it not happen. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is focus on all of their obsec capabilities. The Marine armies typically don't bring many troops and overly rely on rights of war. So I focus on all their troops and then get them to basically have to spend their melee Marines killing my crappy obsect that's standing on their objectives. I like launch 10 neophytes onto an objective with rerollable charges, showing up six inches away, any of that stuff. They have to fight and wipe out all those neophytes. And then I get to charge in those Vanguard vets or keep rinsing and repeating the process. Because again, I'm not trying to fight their army. I'm trying to fight the scoreboard. And things like the, the Mortal Wound output my Patriarchs put out, it does really good. Seismic Cannons are a great profile into Marines. Strength 6, AP 2-2 damage, tons of shots. Um, so try to, try to just chip away at them, make squads smaller, focus on objectives. You're not trying to kill the army, so that's why I'm not giving an answer around that. You're just trying to get those points. So my thought process here with Space Marines, and at least the way that I like to play them, is the exact same thing as you, except instead of deep striking and charging onto objectives, I deploy and I run straight out of the objectives and park there in power armor. And that's kind of what I'm worried about, is that if the Marine player gets there first, I'm wondering, like, are you going to be able to take them off without, uh, you know, like, like actually take them off the objective without committing, like, all of your army at once in part of a Marine army, which can be dangerous with bolt guns. I, like, I, I always think of it as if the Marine player gets, you know, a lot of troop units just all in like a, a general bubble on like a little triangle of objectives, there's nothing to tag. Because as soon as you charge an intercessor squad, they remember how to get like four attacks each or something. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a chaplain nearby and then suddenly they can just totally kill 10 neophytes. Yeah. So the scenario you described is kind of, it's not really, I guess, it's an oversimplified version I find of how the game actually plays out. So early turns, they might use things like land speeder storms or servitors or five-man units to go mess with the objectives. Because again, I have a bunch of gene stealers deployed on the board. They go very fast. And you don't want your Marines getting smacked around by gene stealers, not your quality ones. So you'll probably try to get involved into a trade game early, just trading your cheap nonsense units for uh, some commitment out of me to go respond to them. This is really good for getting oath and stranglehold as well. So it's very natural from their side. So a lot of times I spend my first couple turns just trading gene stealers back in the reserve. That's happened quite a bit. Uh, and then no one's really holding the middle objective, or I'll also bring four demo bikes out, four Allen Jackals, and they'll be getting my stranglehold. They'll be my screen 
and then I require a resource trade group space ring player to go kill my demo bikes. And that's really cool because I'm trading a 50-point unit. My Steelers are going back in reserve. I killed a 50-point unit in the form of a swarm. And now they have to send a real unit out to kill my bikes. So that's a trade I can get into with Marines. I can do that all day long. I have tons of cheap units. I guess what you're describing is if they have a big pile of Marines and they just glom it onto a bunch of objectives and say, here's my army. That's where you can charge, say, acolytes out of reserve or gene stealers from your truck or whatever and really get in there to the front unit, whatever that screening unit is, and then also charge a bunch of neophytes into that front screening unit with your level 7. So I have like three, four units fighting one of theirs. And then I'm going to activate first my kill unit, the gene stealers or the acolytes. Presumably I will kill this unit, especially if I need this unit. I'll shoot them up a little bit. Um, make sure I wipe that squad. And then my neophytes can use 3-inch pile and 3-inch consolidate because they even, even if they're not fighting anything because the Steelers wiped it all, they still get to activate. They get to pile, consolidate, move forward. They'll move block Marines. They'll tag Marines. Marines without shock assaults, without assault doctrine, not really scary at all. They don't have enough attacks to kill 10 dudes like they theoretically do, but very unlikely they actually pull that off. So you can just bump into Marine units and cause all these kinds of fallbacks and your obsec, their obsec, of models as your body count, you can really just touch units and make them really sad, steal objectives that way, as deal with all the falling back, and that's how you bide your time with it. You're also move blocking them with this, a bunch of neophytes jamming up their, their board space, so you can kind of play around the army, and if you have the version with the trucks that I really like, the Goliath Rock Grinders, um, those can play the flanks and beat up small marine skirmish units really well, although that'll take down five Vanguard Vets because they're really bad at killing it. I actually like the, the Goliath trucks a lot in this matchup because um, the, the drill dozer blade on the front, what is it? It's it's eight on the charge, it's eight attacks that hit on threes. Eight attacks, right? hit on threes, strength eight, AP two, two damage. That That is actually the Vanguard veteran killing profile. It really That's, is. <laughs> they, they write it down. It's like this for Van Vets. <laughs> like just draw, draw that on the, the drill dozer blade. I was actually thinking about my rock grinders last night because that's what I think about at night. And um, I was comparing it to a box drill, like a Space Marine, just vanilla dreadnought. And instead of having like four attacks, I have eight attacks. I have eight attacks at a good profile. I have a six-shot gun that's very reliable instead of like a two-shot multi-melt or whatever you give that thing. I move 12 instead of six. I'm, I have more wounds. It's so much better. It's like not even a comparison. I mean, I'd still pay 100 for a box drill. I'm sure you would. But unfortunately, I think a box drill is more than the rock grinder. I'm sure it is. Yeah, and it's, I think it's less wounds. <laughs> Imagine for 20 points, you took your Goliath truck and you added 8 strength, 8 AP, 2, 2 damage attacks, and a 6-shot gun that does something. I think I'd pay that 20 points. Okay, but imagine that for 5 points, you added a 1 CP strat to auto-explode. But I want to be alive. Optimist. I am. All, all of my trucks are by my game last night. Let's see. You know, he seeks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love that the Goliath truck is when you just the keep rock it. Rider? Yeah. Goliath rock rider. There are too many Goliaths. There's honestly. so many Goliaths. Um, I like that they're, they are just so cheap and disposable while also being way annoying for 110 points. Love them. Yeah. <laughs> like, on the one hand, so here's another question with the, these beloved Goliaths of yours. I sometimes just give vehicles and genes their cult because I'm like, oh, now my opponent has something to shoot their las cannons at. Whereas before, they would just shoot them at neophytes. Aha, that's terrible. Um, do you buy into that at all? Or is this part of the, the reserve the trucks trick? Or is, well, are you just trying to touch the blast guns? Yeah, so I 
That's definitely a concern. And uh, in my GT list, I was really concerned because I have my Ridge Runners being my to the last. And I would often play against like anti-tank and then I'd be like, well, my Ridge Runners, oh no. Um, what I found is I often outflank my Rock Grinders. My Ridge Runners go into reserves from all angles. And then on turn two or turn three, whenever I make that big explosive push turn, I have so many neophytes standing all over your objective, so many acolytes charging into you, Gene Stealers charging into you. Atlan Jackals or my, or my Goliath truck moving 18 inches and charging you. Just tie up all your guns. You have to deal with the immediate pressure of OBSEC on your objectives. That's also move blocking you. You cannot ignore that. You also have to deal with the fact that your guns and your units are engaged and they have to fall back, and that sucks. So if you're clever about threat overloading at the right places at the right time and all at once, I find that the last cannons don't have time to shoot the rock grinder. And even if they do, it's not like you care that much. They're 110 points, and no. it's not like one to two last cannons reliably knocks out a rock grinder. You need, like, a real amount of anti-tank to kill them. Yeah. I mean, you know, the rock grinders are going to die, is kind of what you're saying. And therefore, you should pay five points so that it's not the end of the world when they die? That is not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> yeah, we're going to we're gonna have to go back and listen to it. That's really what I heard. Yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> okay, okay. So that was a Marine question. And with the combat Marines, do you want to move on to the shooting Marines a little bit before yeah. we talk about the golden super Marines? So I, I played against Iron Hands round two of the melee at Shiloh, and I was actually kind of concerned about this match because Iron Hands are a bit of a combat Marine army and a shooting Marine army. You know, you fight them both. They had 20 Van Vets, and then he had a bunch of Dreadnoughts full of characters and guns and scary stuff. What I found was Marine armies that shoot, um, generally speaking, are low on the mobility front. All their powerful guns are on platforms that typically don't fly and are relatively slow. So they're very vulnerable to move blocking. They're very vulnerable to terrain, meaning they have to move around walls and things like that. You can really just null deploy Goliath truck and acolytes or with, with uh, Gene Steelers and behind a ruin in your deployment zone. And not participate the first couple of turns. They don't typically pack in direct, so your Atlan Jackals can drive around and move block and get your string golds early and do your participation for you. And then you can actually blow up Marine shooting because it's not that tough. So on turn two or turn three, whenever I make that beta strike, I can um, show up. I'll put like some crossfire tokens onto whichever one to two units I decide to kill. I do that through my neophytes with auto guns and flamers. It's just a lot of. Enough shots to get five hits pretty reliably. And then seismic cannons go. Let's, let's just start shooting. I find I'm able to kill a dreadnought typically on the drop turn or about eight marines on the turn I arrive. And that's pretty good. You just kill the right eight. You kill the eight in the back or you kill a dreadnought in the back, mm -hmm. something that's shooting and scary. Kill the infiltrators. And then kill the infiltrators first. Um, then charge into the front ranks with your gene stealers or your acolytes and whatever. And all of a sudden, you've killed quite a bit of marine. You've killed like... Four squads, some in shooting, some in combat. And that's, that plus an overload attempt is really good. And then you keep your rock grinders safe that turn using angles and tagging their guns. And then all of a sudden, next turn, you're driving rock grinders into them on turn two and turn three, or turn three and turn four. And as we just discussed, driving rock grinders, right into explosion range. Rock grinders kill everything. That's in the explosion in, by, in, With their life, with their drills. While they're <laughs> alive, they kill you. <laughs> oh no, Marines don't like mortals, Nick. I think it's just roll a six then. Just roll a six and blow up. Oh, I hate that that's gonna work for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. 
Yeah, I, I, I've played the the kind of the shooting marine army into Gene's third cult matchup, and it's just really annoying because it feels like there's too many turns of wasted opportunity where the current marine shooty builds feel like they rely on they do a decent amount every single turn and it adds up. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think of like ultramarines who love that turn one alpha strike. Kind of sucks against Gene's third cult. Yeah. Um, although if I can draw a line of sight to like seven blips, eventually something's getting shot. But, you know, still, it requires a lot of commitment. Iron Hands, they love dangling that Dreadnought out and being like, aha, I'm going to do some damage and you're not going to shoot me. And then you're just like, no. <laughs> it's like, it's like, ha, bodyguard? I don't even have guns on turn one. I, literally, I played against double character Dread Iron Hand and I just didn't care that they were bodyguards. Yep. Yeah, that was cool. Didn't, didn't even come up. <laughs> didn't come up. <laughs> the, uh, it's, I, you raised a really good point there. I think... My army is so good at not playing for five turns, I can play for two or three, really, and pick which two or three, if they're going to be in the beginning half or the end Mm -hmm. half or the middle half, that I can really blunt a lot of the Marine players' ability to interact with me, and they need that to actually win. That's a lot of my strategy in most of my games. Instead, cults aren't tough enough to hang with everybody else on a durability platform. They're a bunch of toughness three idiots. So relying on picking and choosing your battles, I find a much more effective strategy. And then, furthermore, with Space Marines, you can just like not be shot because they rely on direct line of sight and they're slow moving. Using terrain really well, it just carries you so far. Yeah, oh, that's fair. I, I do actually have a theory that Infiltrators are about to come back into the meta, um, and that's because of the uh, Eldar Webway gate that's already been previewed on the Games Workshop website. Um, I saw that, and I immediately thought, oh my god, I need Infiltrators if I'm ever going to play Space Marines again. I thought of my Clamavis. <laughs> yep, you know, two two answers to the same problem. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's unfortunate. I think you raise a good point. I think if Eldar armies do start bringing that web gate, webway gate, and it's a common piece, or even like moderately seen, we'll probably see that incursion squad everywhere. But that'll make me very sad. But we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, we'll talk a lot about craft world in the next couple of weeks. I'm sure once we actually have that book in hand. All right, all right. So we've talked about power armor. What about like superpower armor? Like what, what if what if you painted gold? Painted gold like Custodes armor? Yeah, that one. Uh, or might. Oh, See, wow. I know the words. Proud of you. Yeah, I didn't know that. I know. <laughs> so Custodes are tricky. Obviously, they're like one of the best factions in the game. Mm-hmm. I have really teched for Custodes with this Gene Star cult list, even if it uh, even Jack thinks I haven't. <laughs> I actually wouldn't have guessed that either, but. Interesting. Okay. Knowledge bombs. Dropping. Not dropping the knowledge bombs. So my Ridge Runners have the Achilles missile launchers instead of the heavy mining lasers, which is a choice I haven't seen many people make. And then I have all these rock grinders with heavy seismic cannons. So these are a bunch of strength six shots, or strength eight if I use the very profile. At strength, the, the missile launchers are strength eight, AP three, three damage. Strength six. Strength six, I'm sorry. I got profiles confused. The strength 6 AP3-3 three, three damage is great into custodies because we're wounding them on 3s. If they want a transhuman, okay, I'm wounding them on 4s. There's nothing I can do about that besides Vect with my 4-armed Emperor strat and then maybe make that cost 2 CP. My army doesn't really rely on rerolls. It's got very few of those, actually, so your no reroll strat doesn't have much impact on me. Transhuman, slightly annoying, let's Vect it. What um, if they use it on the charges? Use no rerolls. No rerolls. Uh, they cannot, thankfully. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Otherwise, we'd have problems. So, a lot of strength 8 AP 3 3 damage coming from Ridge Runners. I can do strength 8 AP 3 3 damage from the Rock Grinders if I want. So, that's up to 15 strength 8 AP 3 shots. It's going to be hitting on threes. It's 
It's going to be wounding on threes. If they transhuman, I'll just shoot a different unit. Um, so 10 hits on your 15 shots across all your vehicles. And then six, seven wounds. And then every failed save is a dead guy. Oh, AP3 is enough to put them on a four-up invul, even if they're in cover. So that's 50% fail rate. Out of your six, seven wounds, three and a half failed saves. Boom, that's a three-man unit dead with just shooting. Or you do mass strain six AP22 damage, which is a great profile into the bikes because it's just way more volume. They don't get cover, so AP2 is good enough, and you can just start slamming bikes like that. Your army's not really vulnerable to Tanglefoot, which is a big problem when you rely on one or two critical charges in Gene Sealer Cult to go off. Tanglefoot really poo-poos you. If you instead can show up and then just hit like four or five chances at a seven-inch rerollable, you'll make some of them. Tanglefoot loses a lot of value there. That's fine. You have enough combat that you can totally kill Custodies, not like all of them. Like 2,000 points of custodians. But you can pick and choose battles and win sections of the board. So what you try to do is get the custodians player to spread out and, and then isolate units and destroy them like that. If it's Shadow Keepers, it's actually easier and harder. It's harder because your combat is like worthless versus Shadow Keepers, and that sucks. The nice thing about Shadow Keepers is that they're actually vulnerable to mortal wounds relative to like Emperor's Chosen. So I have Mental Onslaught, Smite, Smite, and that. That plus shooting is actually enough that I can pick up units of custodians in one turn and shoot it. Right? A lot of people don't see that coming. Then if they have things like Sisters of Silence or Voidsmen in Arms or any junk in their army that I can or grab. Or a Kalexis. Or a Kalex or a Caladius. Anything that's not going to pick up 10 Neophytes when I charge them is really good for launching a charge into, using it as a springboard, and swinging your unit around with piles and consolidates to get right up on the custodians and move block them. Custodies also have a lot of heroic convention shenanigans. That's very challenging to deal with. Um, clever combat tricks we teach in the worm will help you with, with dealing with heroics. But also, um, if you charge something like charge my whole army into one unit of three shield guard or one unit of three bikes or some unit like that. And then, again, same trick. The rock cutters and the shooting and all that add up and I kill the bikes. All those neophytes who made the charge, they pile and consolidate. You, you can end your charge move let's say six inches away from a bunch of custodies guys that are standing on an objective. Then you're charging there. They can't heroic into you because they're six inches away. You're not even on the objective yet. And then you're strung out in a big conga line where like two guys are barely in combat with these Veritas Praetors over here. And then the eight remaining guys are kind of spread out in a line ready to walk onto that objective with their piles and consolidates. So you pile and consolidate on that objective. You move block all the custodies so they can't really do much next turn aside from annihilate these and you've stolen the objective. You've gotten your stranglehold. You've knocked them to an eight or four on primary. They have no hope at stopping your rods, like, whatsoever. Realistically, they can't get you to the last, so oftentimes I'll take that. Um, although I have taken uh, Pierce the Veil against Custodies and maxed that out because they also can't really stop that one in certain missions. And stranglehold's a bit risky because they're obsec and they want to stay on the objectives. Um, I, I would flip between stranglehold and or you could even go for the Gene Stealer Cult specific secondary here. I forget what it's called, but it's basically if you have more models in, in your zone, your opponent's deployment zone, and the midfield than they do, you get a scaling number of points. And this army has like 150 dudes, and Custodes have like six. So you can really score this out. Yeah, I, I actually like that secondary a lot in Custodes. Um, I think I would probably default to engage in all fronts if I wasn't thinking about it. Because mm -hmm. I know, I've, I've learned with Gene Stealer Cult, don't tie yourself to one spot, a.k.a. take Stranglehold and watch your opponent park all of the Custodies on an objective in the middle. 
Well, what I find, especially with this list, that is all over the place. Because I agree, you don't want to find yourself in one spot, and that's why I don't prefer the deployment style of Dream Circle. If you deploy in one spot, um, with deep striking, if they do glom on center objective with like here's Trajan and a bike captain, two dreadnoughts, and three shields guard, have it, have it, buddy. It's all yours. I'm gonna go fight him on the other three, and I don't. I think only one mission really rewards you for holding the central objective specifically. It's abandoned sanctuaries. I hate abandoned sanctuaries. That's the problem. Favorite mission. Good for you. <laughs> Stupid mission. <laughs> I like taking the center. Need more Othamoma points. <laughs> yeah, I actually played against the Iron Hands in abandoned sanctuaries, and he took Othamoma and investigate signals. I'm like, all right, buddy, I get it. <laughs> Did he hold the center? Um, I kept throwing garbage on to it, so my plan worked. He held it, I held it, he held it, I held it. He got a nine for investigate signals. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, it's actually not even that bad. Not even that bad. Custodies aren't easy. I don't want to say that they're easy. Most of the armies I'm playing against with GSC aren't easy. At the first few times, I felt like my army was terrible. I'm like, man, why am I stuck? I actually only stuck with GSC because I had committed to playing them for the tournament because John made me. Uh, I'm glad I did. Thanks, John. You're because it's, it's very what friends are for. It's what friends are for. It's very rewarding. I, I I stuck with it. I learned it, and now I'm like having a blast over here, doing all kinds of crazy stuff to people. But I think getting there is an arduous journey, which takes some perseverance. So none of these games are actually that easy, and you do have to really learn it. So you got to put the time in for it. All right. Um, yeah. I mean. With custodies, it's always kind of a question for me of, are you doing enough? Because I always feel like custodies sometimes just tank everything you have, and then they just like, there's just like three or four turns in a row where they kill everything in front of them and move about six inches forward. Where you move blocking them, but then they get, you know, a little bit of movement, a pile and consolidate. They're not going as fast as they want, but it's just like a golden wall of like, you know, 18 dudes, and if you're killing three a turn, then they're still coming. Yeah. And is that, like, a problem scenario? I, 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 have you played the matchup once? I played it once. I played against Jack. Uh, it was a super close game, and I played it with my older list that I was less experienced with, so I'd mm -hmm. love to play it again. But I think... I did lose that one, barely, but loss is loss. Mm -hmm. I think the... It is a problem. You know, you move blind the custodian sounds awesome, but they do get that charge distance. They do pile, they do consolidate. All that is there, all that sucks. And eventually you'll run out of models. Um, I think, again, spreading out the custodies is really imperative. A lot of the missions have objectives not right on top of each other. Like the center of the board and the center of each quarter is actually a fairly spread out objective spread, and that's a very common one. Um, Abandoned Sanctuaries, like I mentioned, have the five objectives pretty far away from each other. It's easy enough to make your objective triangle uh, in a lot of missions, and that's what Custodies will try to aim to do. They'll just pick three objectives that are triangular in formation, and then just say, this is where my army's going to live. So out of a five or six objective game, and they decide to hold three of them, it's very easy for you to just flip the board state and hold the other two or the other three. Now, of course, that's they're holding three and you're holding two, um, but you're not really taking any damage this way. And then you can just... Pick whichever objective they kind of gravitate away from. So out of their three objectives that they're triangularly holding, they're going to probably emphasize the one closest to your side is I'm going to defend this one with more stuff. So that leaves up opportunities in their backfield, actually, for you to kind of sneak in and see objectives like that. It's almost like fighting air from the custodian's perspective. That's how you want to view it, where every time they try to get closer to the gene sealer coach, 
every time they try to get closer, making headway towards your army, you just move your army's location somewhere else. You drive sideways with your trucks and rock grinders. You just don't. You're not where they want to be. Go into reserve because so, they're slow. They don't react well. Yeah, that that is fair. Once custodians are in a spot, it's hard for them to change direction. Mm-hmm. Is I think the biggest way to put it. I, like I don't I don't really find custodians that slow when I play them because I like I'll like turn one I'll two d six advance the the highest. And then I'll start charging and piling into things, and people, you know, start running away from me. And then I'm I'm already where I need to be. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I'm like I'm here on like turn one or two. This is great. But I think they're slow at changing direction would be the way to say it. Yeah. Because once once you get away from the fact that they can redeploy on a line and then go, fa- you know, go fast one turn, move forward, it's like, okay, how are you going to get back? Yeah. It's like, ah, uh, I don't have a redeploy anymore. It's the middle of the game. Uh, I've already used that that you know that form of karate to advance farther. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden, yeah, changing direction bad. Especially if they have vehicles, you can, if they go down one path and they have, like, an objective there, but then there's a ruin between them and the next objective over, that ruin sucks for them because that actually really blockades them from going there. If it's infantry, you can very easily move block them, so on the turn you're trying to isolate it, it also slow down the units in the center. That could be really helpful. Yeah. Um, I agree completely. They're really good at getting to their objective triangle and setting up camp, but then camp can't move. Yep. <laughs> Six inches a turn. All right. So there was one other Imperium army I wanted to talk about. Just one. And just, just one. Just one. Because we're in the year of the Xenas right now. I don't care what GW says about <laughs> one wound, guys. Um, I miss my chaos. Yeah. Don't, don't we all? I miss shooting chaos. Um, I'm not talking about Admech. Richard's not here, so I don't have to, I don't have to think about Admech today. Um, I want to talk about Sisters of Battle. Sisters of Battle. We haven't talked about Sisters of Battle on the podcast in a while. I feel like people aren't giving them the proper respect they deserve. But this is an interesting matchup. It's quite hard, actually. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I'm asking. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking for a win here. You didn't get one, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Um, and what I'm talking about is uh, what I think is the best Sisters archetype right now. There's like three of them that are legitimately contenders for the best Sisters list. But I like the new Bloody Rose supplement. And I like just having a lot of girls. Like, I know you like taking OBSEC. I like taking OBSEC. Yeah. We're going to do it. We're going to take OBSEC at each other? Yeah, we're going to take OBSEC at each but other. But yours is wearing power armor and has more attacks and has a bolter. And mine, mine deep strikes. Yours <laughs> <laughs> deep strikes. Um, this one's really hard. I actually find combat armies more challenging than shooting armies. Shooting armies are impossible if I don't have terrain. Yeah. But if I have terrain, I find combat armies a lot more challenging. Um, and that's because at the end of the day, I deep strike and I charge whatever their front line is. I don't really have much say in that. I can try to shoot the front line away, but I don't shoot that hard. And then, then I'm just at the mercy of what comes next, and that's a lot of dead people. So, sisters, it, it very much depends on the mission. I think, kind of similar to custodies, they are. If you have lots of obsec, it's a lot of sisters that are moving away from each other, so they're vulnerable to being moved blocked. They're vulnerable. Getting the objective triangle and then not being able to spread out from there. Sisters typically have a lot more units than custodies, and that makes it challenging. They tend to be a little bit more all over the board. Um, so being a little bit all over the board is, is good for you because you can actually isolate pockets and fight certain segments of it. I think that is key. If you try to fight 2,000 points of Steeler, Steeler Cult into 2,000 points of Sisters, you're just going to get your ass kicked. So you got to pick and choose your battles. That's the moral of today's story. Um, I think sisters will struggle to kill the rock grinders at range. You have to dance those multi-melter retributors. They're horrendous for you. If they brought the exorcist, that's going to be annoying. You can kind of deal with the exorcist by 
move blocking using angles. It doesn't. It's not great at angle sniping because it, it doesn't fly. It's in the backfield typically. Um, and if you tag it, it has to shoot into combat or, or it can't shoot. So those are all great ways to mitigate the exorcist. And if it shoots, it shoots. Whatever with the exorcist. Um, the multi mental retributors are a different type. of What I think you have to do with them is you have six vehicles in your army. You got three rock grinders, a truck, and two ridge runners. And they have one to two, three for crazy multi mental retributor units. Um, try to get them to expose themselves by maybe sacking one rock grinder. I mean, like, you want to bring your anti-tank out to kill this one rock grinder? And they'll be like, yeah, that's what my anti-tank is here for. It's for killing tanks. So they'll kill the rock grinder, and then all your guns get out and blow up those retributors. And you kind of rinse and repeat that trade cycle because you have more trade pieces than you do on the anti-tank versus multi-melt the war. As far as the combat goes, this is a bit more challenging. You'll want to use your Dean Steelers if you can pull this off to run out, kill something, go into reserves. A lot of times, Sisters player will will throw five sisters out early on, kind of like their early trade pieces, to go get your strangleholds or go contest an objective or just move block and screen. A lot of people throw small units out there to screen my deep striking pieces. That's called free lunch. You go kill it and you go into reserve and it didn't cost you anything, cost you a command point. Foreign Emperor, it's free sometimes. And then you've just taken and not traded, and that's awesome. And you keep rinsing and repeating that cycle. So I have one unit stealers go out, get ready, kill a unit, go back in reserve. I have another unit sitting there in a truck or behind terrain, ready to just go rinse and repeat the process. And it's kind of like an endless cycle. One deep strikes into the spot, another one goes out from the spot and kills something, goes in reserves. Next turn, the one that deep struck in, that is ready and been waiting in the spot, rinse and repeat that. Once we get past this little tit-for-tat trade war and the shooting battle is happening with my vehicles, that is where we actually start getting grindy. But hopefully I've killed enough small skirmishing stuff and I've stalled the game out where I can actually um, clog up the board with obsec neophytes, move block with obsec neophytes, move block with acolytes, and do all that. And of course my secondary game is actually really strong. To the last is pretty clean versus sisters. They don't have a good way of killing that. Um, Rods is just broken for genes to court using 12 points. Uh, uh, you might get eight. If you have enough small units, you should get 12. I've written Gene Stitter <laughs> in the past, which Mr. Lennon has had the experience of playing, where I only took like four troops. Boy, was I wrong. Take nine, take 12, take 18. I don't care. Take enough that you can get your rods, and I don't want to hear it. <laughs> and then you get your strangleholder, you're engaged, and you're good to go. Sisters actually struggle with secondaries. Uh, they can build for to the last. Cool. Um, they can get their strangleholds, that's fine. But their last one, banners or rods, if it's not a mission that allows you to take banners, they're really going to struggle to get that last one nearly as well as you are. So you have a little bit of a secondary advantage there. And then if you can keep pace on primaries, rob their primaries a little bit, you're good to go. Get tabled in one anyway. I, I always think of sisters as trying to... Uh, what I love about sisters the most is that with all the miracle life strength that they have, it's very weird to try to commit into them if you try to get into a trade war. Because if I send like five sisters of battle out and you commit something that will on average kill five sisters, I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, here's a miracle dice, here's a reroll, here's a, an act of faith, and all of a sudden, like it wasn't enough. And then if I put five sisters out and you kill enough, if you commit enough to kill like ten sisters, then I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, you're right, they're they're dead. And then I go hit you with ten sisters. Yeah. And I look at that as just trying to get the primary advantage. I think that sisters are very hard to contest against when I start clogging up with obsec. You know, I've I've gone complete 180 in my sister's direction. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, you'll see a lot about my sisters in the upcoming Streamhouse RTT, 
where I have a skewed Tyranid, Jeans Thurkult, Custodes, Craft World Eldar, and everything else to play the most faithful army in the Imperium. <laughs> That's what it was. It's not that I was on vacation when everyone else picked their army. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not that. Certainly not that. <laughs> um, no, I, I do agree. If you take a lot of Obsex sisters and you make them tough and you put them on the objectives, that's super hard for me to dislodge. The nice thing is sisters are still only toughness three, so my pure strains not being Twisted Helix, they're just base strength four. You don't feel it so much. Wounding on threes, I can't tell you the last time my pure strains wounded on threes, but man, does it feel great. So Yeah, pure strains are going to kill me. I'm going to go in there, I'm going to kill a lot of sisters, and that's, that's really powerful. My acolytes, even the basic dudes, they're really good. I actually in, lately have been tacking one rock drill squad and one rock cutter squad. I think the cutters are great for vehicles. But the drills are great for infantry, and the sisters match is challenging. So I added a bunch of drills in to help me do some mortals, do some auto wounds. I think a good AP. That's good stuff going into sisters. The trick is basically whenever there's a tough unit of obsec stuff on an objective, um, you can, if you can't kill it for whatever reason, maybe it's too tough to kill, or it's being screened. In the case of sisters, it would have to be that there's so many of them that I can't kill them all, or it's being screened. Yeah. Then what you want to do is kill whatever the screening unit is, or kill one of the two big units of sisters on an objective, because you can reliably do that, and put more bodies on the objective. Because 20 neophytes is 20 neophytes, and if they all charge the screen, and gene stealers charge the screen, or accolades charge the screen, you can annihilate the screen, or you can annihilate the 10 sisters you were fighting, and then you can go back and reserve with your acolytes that you actually care about, your gene sealers that you actually care about, pile and consolidate with your neophytes, and look at that, I stole your objective, and we've blocked you. And we can keep this up for a long time. Yeah, I, I mean, you can, so I'm just not going to let you run away. Well, the, yeah. the walking death ball's coming, Nick. There is, there is the tactic. Um, I have not seen anyone besides John actually pull this off, so I'm going to keep on saying that it's pretty good. But... <laughs> Gene Sear Cult do have a stipulation to their going back in reserve stratagem. You basically, at the end, it's when you go to select the unit for moving or when you consolidate the unit on the two times you can use a strat. So movement, you kind of just do it. Consolidation, you have to not be within six inches of an enemy, so you really have to make sure you're picking an isolated unit and then you kill it to the man. You don't want to leave it like one guy lived with a wound. No, that's really bad. So killing it outright... Important against sisters, it's not too difficult, but if you have a lot of units right next to each other, um, I'm not going to kill all of it, so I'll be within six of somebody. That's challenging. You have to recognize those situations and plan accordingly. There's not much you can do aside from that. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a matchup that I want to actually play again. Um, I, I mean, I know you like your Goliaths. I like my sisters, but uh, hopefully uh, in the Streamhouse RTT, we will vanquish our uh, elven foes and uh, maybe we can oh, we're both playing against the we're elven both people. playing the elves right oh, oh, good good <laughs> sorry no one likes elves <laughs> did i mention elves we haven't mentioned elves i think it's i think we're getting there right we're getting elves i think we're getting elves okay, so elves. Well, i don't think we're going to talk about craft worlds yet unfortunately that book is uh very very new and we don't really know what it does yet that's good because I, I had no answers prepared because i don't know what it does <laughs> yeah same honestly but uh there are other elves there's always Drukari. There's always Jukari. And this is another one that has me very curious because on the one hand, it's an extremely fast-moving army that I feel can redeploy once you're down. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to move, move block. It is. And everything that they have kills everything that you have. But Drukari aren't exactly known for being, like, tough. Yeah, so especially with the nerfs to the Thick City build, I think you're seeing a lot Less of like nine talus, fifteen grotesques, which would be a whole big problem for me. Um, 
because that's not really such a thing, you've seen a lot more balanced Jukari lists. Then I have not played this match, so I, I don't really, I don't want to talk like I You're, I you're kind of our Jukari engine circle player. Yeah, I am, I am. So they're like, I can't play myself out here. We need to step it up. But um, I think this is where the shooting really helps. Jukari armies aren't packing like 100 Dark Lances these days. They're packing like two Raiders, maybe one Ravager. So if I can press the shooting advantage where I um, kill the one Ravager if they have it, because screw that thing, I don't want my trucks dying, my rock grinders dying. Or I just start peeling enough Raiders that they can't pick up a rock grinder a turn. Then it's actually really challenging for them to kill my vehicles. That's, I think, a big portion to the match, because if they can't kill my vehicles, then I start boxing around towards the end of the game, because we're going to kill each other. I imagine Jukari versus Jeanster called a bloody, bloody battle where all the toughness three idiots that are really good at offense kill each other. Mm -hmm. So what's the end of the game going to look like? It's going to be like characters versus what you have left. So what I have left, I want to be a bunch of vehicles and patriarchs. And what the Jukari player has left is, I guess, more toughness three infantry. They're probably better at killing mine than mine is at killing me. So I, I like to think that this matchup comes down to the last two models on the table, which is a triptic wick succubus and a minus one damage Goliath Rock Rider. Yeah. That's yeah. that's what I'd like to do. That's that's where I'm trying to get this game to go. I want I wanna I'm gonna do my normal thing where I null deploy basically because that's that's how this army is designed to function. And the Jukari player can zip around doing whatever the hell they want. Atlan Jackals are really good in this match for turn one because most Jukari players um, we'll use something like a single Raider or a Venom or three Reavers or something like that. Five Mandrakes to go get your Strangleholds and go get board control early as they're skirmishing screening units. Anything like a vehicle or three-man Reavers, four Atlan Jackals will outnumber off the bat, so I will just take that objective from you um, in a trade objective piecewise. I don't care what happens to them after the fact. Anything like five Mandrakes or five Warriors even, um, I can kill one to two Mandrakes, no problem, with the Jackals, mm -hmm. so I'll take the objective that way. Warriors, I'm pretty confident in my ability to kill five Warriors with Jackals. This is why they have a demo charge. I'll pop that six shots automatically, and we'll see what happens. I'll charge in. Got those Atlan guns. So I can, I can get my Strangleholds early with, by not really participating. That's important to me. Or I'll get my Engage, whatever it is. Then coming in, I will do the thing. I clog up the objectives. I tie up a bunch of units. I move block. I screen. We're really vulnerable to interrupts. We both are, Gene Stiller, Colts, and Drukari. So this is what I mean. We're just going to mass violence each other. Everything's going to die. But if I can focus on the anti-tank early, then Rock Grinders will win the endgame. Yeah. I mean, I would think that you kind of just have to kill the Hellions immediately. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then you can kind of start to move block them. Because um, we, we're actually not seeing as much Cult of Strife anymore, which is the one that lets you move over units and move blocks and be really annoying about, you know, just one CP flip belts. Yeah. But if I, I would think that Hellions are, like, literally the worst thing in the world for you. Because I'm imagining Hellion unit that, like, flies over an Acolyte unit that's move blocking, does a bunch of mortal wounds, kills it to free up Incubi to move. Then they shoot a Neophyte squad with, you know, 20 poison shots and gut them. And then they charge two units and pick them both up. And I'm like, yeah, this Hellion just does too much of you. Uh, I don't think Hellions are actually going to do too, too much to me like, like that. So the way I view my army is if it's, if it's in your face, I don't care what happens to it. It's going to die. How you kill it doesn't matter to me. But if it's not in your face, you're not going to interact with it. I think that's the same, the same. I don't think Hellions change that at all. 
I, I mostly think of Hellions as being really hard to move block. And as long as they have the Fiber Strat, they take away the, your army's ability to move block. Because if you stretch out 10 Neophytes in front of the Incubi, like, aha, Drazzer's not going anywhere. And then they're like, oh yeah, middle of the movement phase, take seven mortals on the Neophytes. Uh, and then all of a sudden the Incubi and Drazzer get to move, so it's a little harder to control. I guess I'm not really trying to move block much in this army. Drukhari's okay. made of really fast stuff. And I like Hellions fly, Raiders fly, Venoms fly, Talos fly. Everything flies in this army. Uh, yeah, I can move block Drazzer, I can move block Artes, I will try to. But even if I don't, like, what am I actually... They, they don't really have anywhere to go. Again, I'm not trying... I'm just trying to move to the objectives. That's, I don't have to go anywhere else. I get my rods. So once they're on the objectives, which is where they'll be after they're done killing my units off of the objectives, they don't have to move anywhere. I don't gain much from move blocking them. It's not like Custodes where I'm trying to isolate units. Isolating Dark Eller doesn't work. They're too fast. They'll just go support themselves. So instead of being focusing on move blocking this one, just get yourself on the objective, contest it, steal it, and focus on damage, which is opposite to how I play, but they're so fragile you can actually pull it off. Hellions, they will go hit something and annihilate it, sure. Uh, their shooting I don't actually think is that powerful. Still wounding on fours really gives me value because my toughness threes actually kind of feels nice. Um, they don't even recover, so I'll just put a few guys in cover. I can use a 1 CP, get a bonus to your cover save, take threes. No one's dying to splinter pods, whatever they're called. And then... You got the name right. I'm proud of myself. I'm the Jukari expert, John. And then... Yeah, they can charge in. They can do five Hellions on one unit, five Hellions on another unit, and totally wipe two units of my guys. And that's fine, because I'm... Anything that I'm letting you interact with is written off as dead. If they're going deep into my lines, it's just kind of a trade. But my army is not really worth trading into. Um, you can trade 10 Hellions for 10 Gene Stealers. Just a trade, really. It's 170 to 140. And I like my unit. You like yours. They're both dead now. So I think that's kind of just the general ebb and flow of the game. We, we can fight on the objectives. We can send missiles into each other. We, I can deep strike and rapid fire you. You can fly over me. It's just a very bloody... Game. It's hard to give a real strategy to it because there's so much agency on both players to do whatever they want. I can just show up. Jukari can just move away or move forward or do whatever. So I can't be like, this is the, the game plan, step by step by step by step. It's too fluid. But I can simplify it down to the idea of everything dies and Rock Grinders win any game. I'm pretty sure that's the plan. Hellions also being minus one, or being two damage into minus one damage vehicles. That's not so bad. Mm -hmm. That's good value. So try to. Try to create those interactions where you win the efficiency battles later. Yeah, you, you kind of have to try to use the fact that you deep strike and you get to decide where your units are after you know where the Dark Elder is to choose which battles are happening. Because if you choose to make it, you know, the Goliath is the one fighting the racks and, you know, the Acolytes are the one fighting the Witches, then I think you're good. But if you, yeah. swip, you, know, you switch around and, like, reroll the wound, Blood Brides are hitting the Goliaths, they're dead. Yeah. And then the racks are hitting the acolytes, they're dead too. Yeah. It's a, it, a big part of this game is trying to allocate which of your units are good at fighting which of theirs and which units are good at tanking theirs. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. And I, you know, now that we're like thinking about that, that thought process, I think Gene's Third Cult is one of the reasons they're strong, which we probably didn't even realize even though we've both used it, is that they get the final say in determining where the fights happen. Yeah. That's and, because I show up. Yep, because you know you everything's hidden. It's underneath a blip. Then it arrives from reserve with more reliability than any other army in the game. You really have the final say in determining where the fights happen. 
and against most people you get to choose the, the like all like the seven different mini matchups that happen across the table mm-hmm. you're choosing all of them so even though your units aren't the best everything's going in the best spot right and that's also once you clear a section of the board out against a lot of these armies start putting units in reserve and putting them into the cleared out section that's now your territory you've just taken your opponent's backfield uh, a lot of times i'll trade sides with my opponent and it's happened it's just uh it's very fluid and you have to play it like that so it's hard behind enemy lines more i really like these weird secondaries behind enemy lines deployed telehorn horn armors i mean you you can't go wrong with gsc secondaries you can just go less right (laughs) just go less right all right do we do we want to talk about the less right choice and force the hive mind we we should talk about the the inferior way to play tyranid things Um, yeah this is very challenging. The Insecults always struggled with their Tyranid Brethren. Um, the combined arms approach is very hard because they typically bring Hive Guard. My army hates indirect fire. Uh, not to say it's untenable, but um, it makes me use Lurk in the Shadows on whatever is deployed on the open turn one, which I don't want to pay for. And then they could blow up my trucks and rock grinders from Adeline's sight, so my turn one hide a truck is not so great. Minus one damage carries you very far. Um, don't know if it's far enough to survive Hive Guard. Probably not double shooting Hive Guard, but single shooting Hive Guard. Problem is the Hive Guard puts you on a timer, which means you really have to get aggressive at some point. My army doesn't like being forced to get aggressive; it likes choosing when to get aggressive. Um, Devour Gaunts are horrendous for me because they pump out 180 shots with Tesla when they shoot twice, and my entire army goes away. Everything I'm on my sight is dead. So, a couple ways around that. One, you can just show up and shoot them. Uh, if, you, if you have that ability, if you're in line of sight, I actually do pump out a lot of shots. Six shots per Goliath Rock Grinder. The stubbers will add up against the Gaunts. The Ridge Runners have 12 stubber shots plus six more big shots. I'll pump it all into them because if you take 30 guns and turn it into 12, strat efficiency goes out the window, and now it's not annihilating all my infantry. Um, that's where like, I'll just rapid-fire guns into the Gaunts. I'll do long-shot auto guns. Everyone counts for the uh, alternatively, if they're hidden and stuff, you can try to tag them in close combat. This is where things like Deep Strike Charging, wiping the first screen with your Gene Stealers, going back in reserve, pile and consolidate with your Neophytes. That trick is my bread and butter, honestly. Um, alternatively, you can just go 18 inches with your Goliath Rock Grinder or Goliath Truck and then cast Psychic Stimulus and charge and maybe use that to get into the Gaunts. Just shut them up. Same with the Hybrid. Just shut it up. If you can do that, I actually think you're totally fine in this match because you are you have so many more units and those are the big damage dealers from their army. So, yeah, they, they'll have their own Pierce Strains or their own Kraken Stealers or Stormlord. But none of that, that's just what you have. It's, it, that's a mirror. So the differences in the matches, I have all these deep striking stuff and I have vehicles and they have Hive Guard and Gaunts. So if you can mitigate those two elements, which are very challenging, and put you on then you should be able to win the rest of the war because you have so many units showing up all over the place. Your secondary game is still 45 points. And everyone's, everyone's getting secondaries in this game. Yeah, right. It's true. It's true. So I actually think, uh, you know, you talk about just shooting the gods and tagging them. I actually think if I were to play my forces into your genius circle, I would put both squads gods in reserve. Really? 100%. With strategic reserve? So just normal outflank strategic reserve so that if you try to screen me out, I'll just show up in my own deployment zone and we'll call it okay. Yeah. But it also forces you to really spread out when I have my own pure strains that want to hit you and go in reserve. Yeah. And I've got hive guard picking on things. Yeah. Um, 
As but, like, I'm never using God's turn one uh-huh. against James Durkle. Like, right. I know, I know your tricks. Right. Um, do you? I, I really think I do. You do after <laughs> listening to this Art of War podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and like, and the thing is, like, I don't actually think the Gaunts need rerolls against Gene Strickle because they just kill everything I, I see, anyways. Like, just pop, jump in, you know, drop a little Tesla and just, you know, sprinkle a little one CP, mm-hmm. you know, like 80% efficiency increase, uh, and then just like kill all the, all the Gene Strickle. Yeah, that would be challenging for sure. Um, at that point, I think I would try to. This is an interesting chess match, and it's so hard to just talk over a podcast. Because if I do this, then you'll do that, and if you do this, then I'll do that. Mm-hmm. But if you, if I see my opponent has reserved their gaunts, I would probably try to screen the gaunts. Not so much that I auto kill them as a tactic I love doing, which is giving me an opportunity. I can't because they'll just walk in off their board edge. So I would probably screen them to a point where they have to show up on their board edge, and then John, your counterpoint is okay. I'll just kill your screens with my. Go into reserve, do your trick right back at you. Still have Gaunts in reserve, still have Gene Steelers in reserve now, and you have less infantry that you've taken and not traded, which is exactly what I don't want. But if I can pull that off on turn two, then on turn three, my army is going to show up, not just the two units I brought in, and I will now flood the board. And your Steelers, maybe I can auto kill them or make them show up in some stupid place because they have to show up the next turn. Your Gaunts. Maybe I can force them to come in off their backboardage, not giving you nine inches on my side flank or something. And then they're on their backboardage. They'll obliterate whatever's right in front of them because they have 18-inch range, which will be like neophytes or acolytes or something. And Steelers are in the middle of nowhere or dead because I auto-killed them from, by screening out the whole table. When I say screening out the whole table, I mean putting units all over the board, literally all over the board in weird conga line formations that enemy models cannot come in without being within nine inches of them physically. And if you can't physically place your unit on the table without, like, legally nine inches away, it's just gone. It's dead. Poof, the game's over. So you can get free value there. I've done that quite a few times to certain units. If it's worth doing, I will sack a lot of infantry to auto-block the board. Because I'm also scoring line gauge or my stranglehold, getting my rods, and generally putting my units everywhere, which is what I want. And then your gaunts will be relatively out of position, hard to interact with. They're coming in on turn three. They're coming in with barely range to anything. I only have to deal with the gaunts on turns four and five um, and without as much stealer support. So I would try to construct that scenario if I see that they're outflanking gaunts. But, of course, if this, then that. So Yeah, yeah I mean, if you do that, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to activate my force field that blocks your lasers. You, know? you have a force field that blocks my yeah, lasers? exactly. You know, we're just going to keep going. That's why I don't take mining lasers. I take seismic cannons. You can't <laughs> block a cannon. <laughs> All right. There, there is exactly one army left that I, I really wanted to talk about. Exactly. I actually one. don't, but you know what? I think we owe it to the community. Uh, how do you beat Tau? I've done it three times, even against the robot himself. So that's, that's how, just like that. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. I hope you really enjoyed this part two episode <laughs> of Art of War, where Nick really went into detail about how he defeats Tau. Exactly. So, Tau, I have played three times, twice in a GT, once in a practice game against Mr. Sieg himself. Um, there's different variations of Tau, of course. The variation I played twice at the GT, very similar to itself, was multiple broadside units and a big crisis unit full of airbursts. I hate that thing. Commanders, of course. Crew and crew hounds to do skirmishing around objectives. Devilfish full of breachers, that kind of thing. So, again, we null deploy the Tau army. So we put the truck behind a wall in the corner. We put gene stealers. Um, 
I'd use a trick where I put the blip very far forward and I get the pregame move with these genes to go one turn, uh, first battle round. So if I go first, I, I will put them forward and go kill something and then go into reserves. If I go second, they'll go backwards and hide behind terrain. And most of my army will sit in reserve. And I'll explain to my opponent very, very in detail. Like, I can auto advance six, I move out of my blip, then I move again, and then I can charge you. I have 50 attacks when I cast Might from Beyond, and I'm going to kill you. I can just shut off your Overwatch for one CP if you're touching terrain or if I get a crossfire on you, which I can do turn one with my truck's auto cannon. So, there's a lot of ways I can scare my opponent, basically. So, most Tau players will typically take Montka, which is. Uh, the benefit you get for the first three turns of the game. And if I can get them to not really shoot me on turn one because null deploy, not really shoot me on turn two because I chose not to show up and null deploy, um, barely anything is coming in, move blocking a little bit, and not interacting much. Turn three, I have to show up. It's going to suck, but Monka is in its worst form at this point. And if I've gone second, then they won't even shoot me until their turn four, realistically, when no Monka. When I show up... Um, Typically, there'll be like Crute or Crute Hounds or Devilfish or something like that being the front lines. That's awesome. That's super easy for me to charge. They don't have minuses to charge on the Crute and stuff like that. So I can just hit a bunch of charges, um, overwhelm the Crute, kill all of them, go into reserve if I feel like it, and just start piling, consolidating neophytes, all in acolytes, all over to objectives, stranglehold, etc. Uh, if I can tag broadsides, that's amazing. Um, because broadsides, yes, they can shoot into combat, but if I have two broadsides having to shoot neophytes that they're engaged with, then their railguns aren't going into my vehicles, and that buys me a turn of vehicles advancing up the table. Um, they're not going to put airbursts that reroll wounds into my vehicles because they have 400 infantry in their face to kill. Much better place to put those. So that's really good. If they have plasma and cyclic guys, um, that's actually, if they deploy them, I'll, I'll just... That's target number one. Whatever is not female pain is kind of target number one, but usually people female pain the broadsides to airburst because I have so many infantry in this army. So the cyclic and ion units, those I can just shoot at. Come in, get crossfire on them. I'll, I'll use lying wait if I have to to expose them by showing up three inches behind them. All of my shots will go into whatever unit I want and then just nuke it. I don't really kill like three... Um, I don't kill like a five-man crisis unit through drones in one turn. But the weapon profiles I have are really great because you can start doing damage to drones um, within psychic phase. So like the mental onslaught guy will go for a smite. I don't need mass hypnosis these guys. He'll smite and he'll either kill a drone right or he'll wound another drone. Two-thirds of the chance he leaves a drone on one wound. He either does one or three mortals or two. Two will kill a drone, one or three will kill a drone or wound a drone. And once a drone's wounded, then you do the mental onslaught trick. So four dice, you pick up a drone, wound the next. Three dice, you pick up a drone. Two dice, you wound a drone, something like that. And now I have cascaded and killed like three drones with one dude's psychic powers. Then in the shooting phase, I have all of my either three damage flat or two damage in spam firepower. So into drones, here's a bunch of two damage shots. Great, your drones are dead. Oh, you started allocating onto your iridium guy. Okay, now I will fire... My Ridge Runners, they're strength 8 AP 3 3 damage, so that 2 up armor save Iridium guy has a 5 up save. So I'm just, it's all about allocating shots in the right order. Oh, you're back to drones, here's some heavy stubbers. Take your drones on those kinds of saves. So if I can knock out their anti tank by tagging the broadsides, killing the plasma guns, and generally positioning well with the rock grinders, 
it's kind of a similar scenario where airbursts will lose to vehicles and patriarchs in the endgame. Uh, my infantry have lasted long enough by only showing up on turns three and four. Um, turn, and the objectives are all contested and glommed up. And then I can kind of actually get to the town steamrolling because I am fast at move, advance, charge once I'm on the board. That's the n approach to Tau. Um, it's, it's very finicky. It's really hard. Don't be afraid to use Lurk in the Shadows to not be shot with like Gene Stealer units. That'd be a, your third wave or second wave. There's a lot going on here. Is, is there ever a concern, because this would be my concern, that they kill too much in one turn? And like, let's say the Tau player goes second, and then you know they've got the bottom of turn to score, and they've got uh, that nice little, little advantage where they can, you know, you're going to be out of the blips by the time they're moving and shooting. And then you have to start bringing stuff in while they still have quite a few turns if they still have access to Malkoff. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a concern. Really, Tau... I don't want to challenge Tau to not kill my whole army, but unfortunately that is kind of what you have to do. The nice thing is, if you're going first, you can actually drop your whole army in, and they haven't really set up their defensive screens too well. The way timing and board control works. So at yeah. that point, I'm probably trying to use my first unit of Gene Steelers really aggressively. I deploy that blip far forward on the edge of my deployment zone. Free game move, or start of the first battle round, move them up forward. Move advanced charge, and this is where I'm trying to kill 20 crew, or I'm trying to kill all of your crew towns, or whatever. What you want to use is your first layer screen, but whatever you're going to use for getting your turn one strangleholds engaged in all fronts, that kind of thing. That's all dead, and I'm going back in reserve. So when that happens, the top player has fewer screens. Now, to go into preparing for my turn two, they have to start using real units, or maybe they have a few bull, bull crap screens left, and then I can. Rinse and repeat that process with a second unit of stealers. Bring the one that went back in reserve back into my deployment zone. Kind of that yo-yo cycle trick I talked about. Kill all their screens, and now they have nothing but real units to screen with. Um, this is the point where I'm going to come in turn three and just start connecting charges. So their minus two charge is really annoying. Um, the way I get around that is basically setting up charges into multiple different suit units. So here's your broadsides, I'm eight away here. Here's your crisis suits, I'm in the conga line, I'm eight away there. And I'll start by turning off Overwatch in a lot of places. As I have crossfire markers to do this, I have um, terrain strat to do this. And then, so it's two different ways. And then of course I can just soak Overwatches with things like a random neophyte that's around or a jackal that survived or something like that. So getting around Overwatch, not so bad. Then we have the, uh, the minus two charge strat. So I'll have I'll try to bait it out. Right? I'll start with a neophyte charge. And if they just use the minus two charge strat, now I know where it is. I'm just going to stop charging that unit. Worst comes to worst, they don't fall for those tricks. And then I have my 3d6 pick the two highest neophyte unit. That's when they might use their mi minus two charge strat because I declared a, a suit unit. So they use it. Now I have a 3d6 pick the two highest looking for a nine. It's usually an eight with plus one a charge from my icon ward becomes a seven. Minus two becomes a nine. Um, 3d6 pick the two highest, looking for a 9 with a free reroll. It's like 60-something percent to pass, like 63. So, should work. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'll just start charging everything else with rerollable 7s and connect some of them and engage the vehicles, engage the broadsides, that kind of thing. So, it's tough. It's definitely tough. You'll take a lot of casualties. Usually my army's battered by the end of this game, but I try to create that endgame scenario where rock grinders just driving around, beating stuff up, and patriarchs are just doing their thing, can't be shot. Another trick I love to do is if they have a devilfish and you have gone first and you have cleared out their crude screens early, 
don't like these, these devilfish to create a screen in the future. You can trap a devilfish in combat. It's something we teach in the war. But if you surround the devilfish, which is like a really chonky model, um, and I know it has fly, you surround it with a whole bunch of dudes and tag it in close combat with like one neophyte, one neophyte, one acolyte, one pure strain, and you spread your unit out. So not everyone is attacking, but instead you create like this nice circular flower pattern around the devilfish. The thing moves 12 inches. If you degrade it, it moves eight. So I definitely will, I oftentimes slam a patriarch in there and he'll just degrade a devilfish on his own, typically. And then you pick it up and you try to move it. It can't clear itself because it's, it's pretty wide. It's pretty lanky. So if it goes left, it's, it'll land and be within one inch of a gene stealer. If it goes right, it'll be land and be within one inch of a neophyte. Go forward, it'll land and be within one inch of a jackal. You create that scenario and all of a sudden, wow, my devilfish can't fall back. What a strange concept. I guess I could use Desperate Breakout. So boom, 2 CP out of here for Tau. You vex something and Tau are going to burn through their CP like this. If you can pull this off where you also trap one of those idiot crutes that, or croutons that they use to screen you, in your quotes, now you've trapped the Devilfish and the Crute, and only one unit can Desperate Breakout. So you can just dodge a shooting phase if you really try to. Yeah, I have not played the Gene's Third Call in the Tau matchup. I've actually been trying to avoid playing against Tau a lot. That's why I took a vacation. Uh, <laughs> just to avoid Richard. Um, I'd love to, you know, honestly, I'd love to see you get another shot at this one. I know that you already had a really successful game against Richard. Um, you would all worry that Gene's Third Call is an army where it relies so much on its tricks and the fact of the unknown that when people get reps, it's easier to beat. Yeah, um, I don't really worry about it because I live in the moment. Mm -hmm. But in theory, my army is a giant Swiss army knife that pulls out the proper tool for the situation. And it's on you as the general to summon your knowledge and create the best possible, very malleable tool to solve this direct problem. That... Um, the thing with that is basically, if someone is flawless at 40k, they could see they could see through all of your tricks and just outplay you, I guess. But that's why it's an awesome game because there's always more to learn. Like I could learn my art even deeper. So if I am the best player in the world with Gene Steeler Gold, someone shouldn't know all of my tricks because I got some up my sleeve, up my four sleeves, John. That's the goal. I think Ooh. it's a really rewarding army that rewards you for learning it, playing it really well, and just taking it to the extremes. So. That's what I'm here to do. All right. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming on to your own podcast again. Uh, <laughs> congratulations on your win with Gene Strickle. I'm really excited to watch what you do with the Army. I'm very happy to find that you are getting passionate about them mm -hmm. and that you're excited to play them because it's been really fun to watch you experiment with a very different play style than what I normally adopt. Yeah, I've been in a little bit of an <clears throat> Army rut lately. Ever since uh, Jukari kind of went towards the City, I wasn't feeling them. Uh, Crusher Stampede wasn't feeling them. You, you were playing forces. So I was like, what am I going to play? And now Gene Steeler Cult, they're my niche. They're my jam. They got a whole bunch of janky nonsense, and I love my janky nonsense. I was best Gene Steeler Cult player in 2019. That was eons ago. But I've got to reclaim the title for the Forearm Emperor. So I'm here for it. All right, perfect. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Hopefully, you really enjoyed this episode. Uh, stay tuned. We've got lots of exciting content coming up in the Art of War. We've alluded to it a couple of times, but there is a Streamhouse RTT. So if you listen to this when it goes up, stay tuned because next weekend, next weekend, we're going to have a whole bunch of Art of War people playing an eight-person RTT. We're all bringing out our best toys, our best lists, and we're live streaming the whole darn thing. Stay tuned to our social media to find out more about that. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We'll catch you next time.
Bye-bye. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. <laughs>